This is Tony Holbein with the Revenue Formula. In today's episode of Why 95% of You Already Messed Up Next Year, we're going to talk about two things. Number one, four reasons why you're probably off track already, and we're going to dive into those. And then four ways to try and fix them in order to put yourself on track for hitting next year. Where's the logo, by the way? It's kind of in its order. Same with the curtains. Now we just need good talent. <laughs> yeah, we need to hire some subject matter expertise. We, yeah. we need to hire a way out of that problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intro, intro, intro. Oh, I thought that was the intro. We need better talent. <laughs> you know, we have all the equipment now, but the talent, ah, not nah, so exactly. sure. It's also just, you know, heresy to do an intro without intro music, by the way. Yeah, it's, you can't, you can't do it. You can't start it. You're not in the mindset for it. And you know what? You shouldn't. No. You shouldn't. It's going to set you up for failure right there. Yeah, totally. No, it's all about the planning, which is basically what we're going to talk about today. And really why 95% have messed up next year already. Yeah. So out of the 20 people listening, <laughs> only one of you has got a right for next yeah. year. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even started, but we're also at a very different stage. Yeah. And probably we have started. So. We're, we're thinking about the future. That's that's step number one in planning. You know? We're thinking about planning how we're going to plan. Yeah. No, it's funny. Like I've been reading um, a good old book, Rework. You know this one? It's a classic. Oh, wow. No. And um, well, book recommendation right there. So it's a great one for uh, if you're starting a company. But basically, there was a, a, a part about planning where it's, you know, don't waste too much time on it. Mm. You need to actually execute. I was like, yeah, I've been in those meetings where you you talk for hours and hours and hours about a thing you know is most likely not going to happen because there's must-dos or something else, mm -hmm. right? Um, so so a lot of planning, I at least have found, is very, very broken, actually. And we, uh, we kind of shifted gears just looking at what are the next couple of things we're going to do very focused conversation on a project we knew was going to happen and uh, how we were going to bring it to market, basically. Yeah. And that's been way more productive for us, right? But we're going to talk about not just a small team, but a company mm -hmm. and basically why planning is broken and potentially what you can do about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe avoiding a kickoff in February. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's probably the first thing, right? Well, you know, if you if you even get there, because probably you need some... OKRs to be set in place for March. So uh, that's that's usually then where the first session happens. So, and what we want to do today is actually go through a couple of things that we've seen in the past, both, mm -hmm. you know, executing this ourselves, but also with, you know, working our customers and talking to a bunch of, bunch of other teams out there. And we have identified four main areas why, why people are messing this up. Um, and, and I think... Please bear with us when when too many of these hit home too well. We're going to talk a bit about you know what you can do about it potentially, but really the the point is here. If you're seeing those signs, those might be signs that are taking you off track already, which then will make actually hitting that plan next year pretty difficult. Yeah. Right. So you know one one rule of thumb for me sometimes is if the planning is easy, then executing is going to be hard. Mm. Uh, so you almost want to, you know, uh, turn this the other way around, make the planning really hard, 
and then the execution is going to be so what like hard to get to the place where you're gonna meet the team and plan or a lot of friction or what 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 do you mean hard? have actual fights about it have friction during the planning process if someone is throwing up a number and everyone was like yep sure yeah no let's do that then either no one has a clue or the number is too low and Usually it's not the too low part. <laughs> Usually it's the other <laughs> yeah. part. And um, and then once you then hit next year, then it's like, oh, wow, this is difficult. We, you know, we, we're not going to get there, boss. So, you know, now we need to kind of do something else. And if you have a really smooth planning experience, then it's usually really, you know, it's, an, it's, it's a sign for it's going to be tough next year. Mm. And then the, you know, another piece around this is, and we haven't even gotten to the four yet. No, no. I'm realizing. The, the other piece around it really is if all of your planning conversations are around anecdotes and gut feel and, and finance, the only team supplying numbers to it, also a very bad sign. Also a very bad sign. Yeah. Uh, so really kind of those two things kind of keep in mind. And if where, where it's easier to create friction and pushback and opinions is when all the different sides come with data to the table and say, hey, this is what we can do based on X. And there will always be anecdotes and gut feeling in there because otherwise, you know, UVPs shouldn't be getting paid the money they're being paid, right? There's some really high complex stuff that data won't fix for you. But you need to have it as a backbone of the conversation to, you know, mitigate that gap that will form. And finance and the CEO will always try and pull you up and talking about the commercial teams here. And if you just there with like, I don't think we can do that. It's going to be difficult for you to reverse that poll. You need to have some data mm. uh, in order to manage the conversation, right? Otherwise, again, you will probably land up in the wrong space. Yeah. And we want to help people create an amazing plan that they can actually execute. Yep. And um, we're going to get into the four points. Mm-hmm. Let's go into the first one. Number one. And this is this is a common practice, and we're not necessarily against it, but it's one of the first items where you can probably see this is going to be difficult. And and this is CFO and CEO come out of a board meeting and they have agreed on a number. Yeah, that's usually how it's going to work out. And the conversation in the boardroom is valuable and it's helpful. And the people sitting there are usually people with a venture capital background and even if they have like an operational pass, that pass is kind of useless five years into this. So usually it's a really VC-dominated board. And there's one thing that those, and it's mostly guys right now, sadly, but you know, those guys and ladies are really, really good at. They're really great at being able to tell, you know, the CEO and the CFO and everyone else who wants to listen how the organization, how the company needs to look like in a spreadsheet to be able to get more cash in a year or two from now. That's what they're experts in. And they're really good at that, right? And they basically tell you, listen, if you want to keep your multiple, if you want to, you know, keep, you know, this dilution profile, if you want to keep those pristine logos as your investors, this is how your how your organization needs to look like in a year from now. And and obviously then the conversation on the board is like, well, well, we do want to look like this in a year from now. <laughs> So check, yeah. lock in, <laughs> let's let's shoot for 150% NRR. Oh, that's great. Then we also don't need to grow that much on the Nubis side. And, mm. you know, let's triple because doubling is not enough. And CAC payback, well, let's have it below 12. You know, let's be really efficient. If we had all of these things together, then we're going to be, you know, the 
the next unicorn and waiting basically mm. happening on the stage. And the problem with that obviously is mm, that that this, hey, this is how the VC wants us to look like becomes the actual target for the organization. And I think this is wrong. I think the input from the VCs should be taken for sure. But the people operating and executing, which includes the CFO and the CEO, but also a couple of others, they need to come up with how to operationally actually achieve it. And guess what? And many, many VCs say that openly. They don't have an effing clue how to actually do that. No. They, they, they don't. So really, you know, whatever they come up with, take it with a big chunk of salt, try and optimize for it, but don't say, hey, this is the plan and now let's reverse engineer it, right? And that's usually what we see, you know, CFOs then end up doing and creating a spreadsheet that kind of has all of these things and then ends up being the agreed agreed plan. Mm. And, you know, then it's being handed out to the operational leaders and, you know, there's a little bit of a air quotes feedback session, but really it's a feedback session with a gun in hand, you know, and being like, hey, Mikkel, right, you agreed to this growth target, <laughs> right? And if Mikkel, says, if Mikkel says no too many times, then, you know, and this is more of a US thing. It's like, well, then we need to find someone who can say yes to mm. us, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, this is, this is I think, where, um, where the first step kind of goes off already yeah. right there. Yeah, it's, it's terrible being forced into a target you know is no way you're going to be able to hit. This is really a problem caused on a board level that then hits the organization. And yeah. if you're then sitting, let's say you're a revenue leader in this scenario and now, you know, CEO, CFO comes into the room with gun in hand, how should you approach it? What should you actually do? To Call it out. Room? Call it out. Mm. Say, okay, cool, this is the plan, I get it. But just because you promised at the board doesn't mean that this actually can be executed. Mm. And if we keep going down that route of you just me, you know, pushing me to say yes to this, sure, let's do that, but it's not going to work out. I'm mm. sorry. And, and that is really the conversation you need to have. And I think the... The powerful move here is instead of saying, you know, oh, I don't know, and, you know, maybe we can do this and, you know, be, be soft around it, call them out on the process and mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, let, okay, let's just get one thing straight. Do you actually really need my input here or is this locked in with the board already? Yeah. Um, and I can tell you why all of these things are going to be difficult. I'm going to be a team player and sure, let's do it. But those are the issues that are not going to work out. But also if you go that path, in your conversation, either, you know, use a RevOps leader to a revenue leader or a revenue leader to, you know, the CFO, CEO, I think you will disarm them a little bit in the process yeah. and you will be forcing a more sincere and straightforward and open conversation about it. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. It's also, it's obviously easy to say, just call it out for some, that's going to be really hard, especially if you are not, you know, VP or CRO at that level and then not at level with the CEO, CFO, then it's going to be hard. Go but. go the other way around. Ask a question. So, CFO, CFO, CEO, cool, great. I love that target. Explain to me how you came up with it. <laughs> yeah. And then they're going to say, well, we met with, uh, you know, our investors. They well, had this. There, there's this triple, unicorn triple, table. Yeah. Triple, triple, double, double, whatever. And we are in the tripling phase. So that's what it's going to be. And, you know, this is where you're going to... Basically, the, you know, when someone says that, it's VC speak. And to a degree, the board needs to kind of match those two worlds, you know, mm. current and future investors versus what can the, 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 the vehicle, the company actually deliver. 
But that would be your first hook to be like, okay, so it's basically, you know, our wish to go that way, but we yeah. haven't figured out how to actually get yeah, there, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's uh, let's move to the second. Yes. So the next one is, the next one is you're too late. Damn yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> so it's it sounds it sounds like a oh okay cool Mr. Obvious thanks yeah. thanks for that one uh, but but really the the problem is you know this is you know this is October and you know some people are planning on doing that and that's great but especially if you want to double or triple next year really you need to have quote unquote boots on the ground much earlier than January yeah you know because of ramp up because of hiring because of onboarding, because of all of those reasons, you actually want to hire those folks in, uh, you know, first of October. Yeah. So in the past, yeah, uh, yeah. if not even earlier than that, you know, I, I sometimes see plans with, you know, I don't know, as an organization, 200 people, and then January has 50 more people in the plan. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> sure. Good luck, H. Uh, employee experience. Yes. So, I mean, so first of all, let's, unfeasible anyway yeah. just think about the you know people forget that actually it's sure it's 50 new people and hey wait a minute i need um you know tony sometimes so i, I sometimes say uh, one one talent attraction person can hire five commercial roles yeah more run-of-a-mill roles um so cool maybe i need a very large talent attraction team 10 maybe eight with some agencies and so forth cool but now the next problem uh, for hiring 50 people, how many interviews do you actually need to have? Oh, yeah. And who's going to have those interviews? And it's not going to be talent attraction. It's going to be all of those people that are trying to figure out the plan for next year, trying to close Q4 in the right way, yeah. doing all the other 1,000 other things. And just think about you know the math of how much time they actually need to spend on this thing. Mm. And you will very quickly realize, wait a minute, that is actually not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so really, if you want to have those people on the ground in, in January, you need to start having them in their seats in October, which means you should have started in, you know, yeah, yeah. a little bit ago, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it takes time. And also, to your point, Q4, people will be very busy working towards the final target to see if you can hit for the year. So that's going to be the focus number one. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, yeah, we also need to plan and we also need to actually hire with Q1 in mind. That's that's a tall order. Yeah. It's it's such a you know high amount of work, and you don't want to compromise either on the the hiring part. Yeah, uh, because you need to bring in the right people. No, and then the next thing is also you know how can you speed up that hiring? What is a solution to that? Mm. Well, you just pay above market. That's true. You can do that. Um, is the CFO going to be happy with that? Maybe not. Mm. And then number two, you are in January now. Not fifty people started, but maybe thirty. Maybe you did a good job. So now you have a gap of twenty. And you know those people usually have a revenue impact to catch up on those 20 that you weren't able to hire in January. Yeah. You actually now are talking about hiring 25 extra in February. So basically kind of the gap plus a little bit because yeah. you're lacking, you know, you know, you're lacking on some time that they haven't been ramped up and you know the, the result is by the end of this year. So you're basically stuck in this catch up game from day one. Yeah. And and the truth is you won't catch up. It's just going to be impossible for you, right? So basically, starting too late out of pure math and logic reasons is going to end up uh, having you fail next year already. And, you know, this disease is sometimes even a bit worse in, in large organizations that are starting to think about EBITDA and, uh, you know, and these kind of 
metrics, you know, actually making money instead of like us just burning it. <laughs> and the, the problem there is, and I've lived through this myself, the problem there is like, but wait a minute, Tony, all of those hires we're placing in October, November, December, especially on the sales side, they're not going to bring in any revenue, right? No. Okay. So all of them are basically going to basically negatively impact EBITDA, right? Yes. Well, sorry, can't have them in Q4. We need to push them into Q1. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So what should you do? Uh, multi-year planning instead? Or how, how do you go about actually this? You know, one thing is you're too late now, mm. right? Uh, so let's talk about what you can do if you're standing in this situation now, but also maybe considering next time around, how do you preempt this? I think budgeting and revenue planning can be two different things. Mm. And the CFO and the board needs a budget to be approved in order to do the right governance and it's really important and to have something you can be held accountable to and, and all of these things. And therefore, it's, it's, a, it's a very political exercise also who gets how much and blah, blah, blah. There's tons of research how budgeting is, uh, isn't really working great. But on the revenue planning side, and yes, those two overlap and they have an intersect, uh, interface and so forth. But on the revenue side, you can be much more ongoing planning about it. You don't need to do it once a year. You should probably you know, revise it and check it once a quarter. And when you do it once a quarter, you should look at it from a, hey, what about 12 months from now? And basically roll one quarter further all the time, right? Mm. Instead of only looking about the uh, calendar year end and so forth. And obviously some of those arguments about EBITDA that I just brought up in the end, that will be a decision that you won't be able to make because it's really at that point the finance organization just rules, especially if you're public, especially if you have some kind of you know earning targets you set out. Mm. Even your best arguments will just fall on deaf ears and they will, no, 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 Mikkel, I understand you. I totally, under I totally get it. I totally understand that this is going to hurt us next year, but my head is on the line for this number in three weeks from now. So no, we're not going to change any of this, right? And and that's, I think then you as an organization have just progressed too far in kind of that side. And then uh, I think the CEO, CFO just need to have a clearer conversation hmm. earlier on. Are we going to a three? Let's, let's try and do a three. Let's here. try and do a three. So this is one of the things, Tony, you've, you've been observing quite a bit and you had this funny observation around, you know, we talk, so we talk about revenue planning top down. Mm -hmm. So this is really the first point we had. There's a target coming from the board. Go make it work, mm -hmm. right? But we kind of want to mesh it also with with the bottom up, which is the conversation we have, yep. where you look at how is the revenue engine performing? What can it potentially, if you if you put this amount of cash in, what comes out the other end, right? And the funny thing is, you said is some people they think you know we take the revenue number and then we drill it all the way down to the bottom and then we've done bottom up because we reached the bottom. Yeah. So what's what's the problem here in number three? So one of our biggest learnings over the years, but also advice to everyone who's, you know, cares to listen is uh, have a strong top-down plan. And that's really useful. You know, the board and the VCs and all of them need to tell you where they want to go, but then you need to create a bottom-up plan in order to match it. And, and then there will be a gap and that's great. And now you can have a conversation how you're going to close that gap. Uh, are you going to find some more things on the bottom up? Are you going to take some things out from top-down or are you okay with the gap? And the thing is, when we then sometimes talk about it, hey, you need to have a bottom-up, people say like, but we do have a bottom-up. It's like, okay, cool, you know, show me, you know, t tell me how you, you know, how you created that bottom-up. And it's like, well, we took 
the revenue number where we want to be by the end of the year. Mm. Uh, we know how much new customers we need or many customers we need, and then the opportunities in MQLs. And uh, we also know, you know, the CAC payback that we want to have and so forth. And it's like, okay, all of this is just a very granular top-down plan. It's not a bottom-up plan. Mm. A bottom-up plan is about, you know, what people am I going to hire when and what is their expected output? What projects are we going to execute across the revenue engine? Could be improvement projects, could be opening up a new market, could be rolling out a new product, all kinds of things in order to get conversion rates up or open up a new market and so forth. Or the last one, you know, executing campaigns on the top end around marketing, right? What are, what are tangible, actual things you can literally do mm. next year? What is their revenue output and what's their cost footprint as well? And then if you stack all of these things up, and some of them might be, you know, overlapping with one another and influencing one another, and that gets really difficult. But, you know, once you do all of these things, then you have a bottom-up plan. And many, many folks just um, think, hey, once you get to the MQL layer, then, you know, that's, that's your, that's your bottom-up. But, it's, but it's not. It's not, right? And, and the other piece around it sometimes is also taking a, an output efficiency measure and in this case, we're talking about customer acquisition cost payback. So basically, how long does it take for the customer core that I just acquired to pay back the cost that I invested in order to acquire them? Yeah. And you know, benchmarks around 15 months for B2B SaaS, can be more, can be less, and so forth. But basically, sometimes CFOs take that ratio look at how much revenue they need to grow or they, you know, they want to grow and then basically take that ratio in order to calculate back how much sales and marketing budget you're going to get mm. and then say, well, you know, there you go. You know, now we have that number and, you know, this is really the desired outcome. And really what they're doing is they're putting the, the card in front of the horse here. Uh, really what would need to happen is with all the things you're doing, all the changes you're executing, all the money you're spending, all the people you're hiring, if we do all of these things and things happen like we want them to happen, what is the outcome of that CAC payback-wise? And then you have that number mm. instead of taking it as an input to come up with a budget, right? So that's kind of the the fake bottom-up, uh, you know, third third item we see go wrong a lot. And I guess there is something you can do about this one. So if there is a top-down target and plan being set, you could go and do the bottom-up, couldn't you? Yeah. And do a true bottom-up, mm. not the, you know, not the fake bottom-up, do the true bottom-up. So, and for sales, it sometimes means, you know, what does the hiring look like? How does the ramp-up work? And some of these things are a bit easier. For revenue operations, it might be what projects can we think we can achieve? And, you know, yeah. uh, it could be for product to roll out specific things and, you know, building all of this in for marketing to... You know, on a higher level, understand how they want to get somewhere and, you know, mm. what the big bets are going to be for the year. Obviously, on the more granular level, uh, marketing won't know six months out what they're specifically going to do, right? But really building this thing from the bottom up yeah. and then, you know, matching top down and bottom up. And I think once you match it, I think you're set up for... Um, for a really strong start already uh, in that case. I think what's also pretty cool is we we talk a bit about how the evolution of revenue operations within a company. 
And if you're right now stuck with tools or you're, you know, you're a sales ops functions and there isn't any revenue operations or marketing ops for that matter, this is one of the points where you can actually shift the perception by doing this work. Mm -hmm. And if you're in sales ops and you do a bottom-up approach based on your target and you go to the VP of sales and say, hey, Tony, you know, I... I looked at this plan, I matched it with how our engine is performing and there's a big gap. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about this. Yeah. He or she is really going to value that input to a very important conversation because it's going to help them down the line. Yeah. And if you and he or she will say it, I'm just saying it right now as well. If the answer is going to be well, well, you know, then marketing just needs to come up with a gap. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. That's the wrong way about it. Yeah. That's, you know, already there already there it's it's you know it's going to be terrible for you because obviously you know you're now in a sales operations kind of role and and your master is the vp of sales in that sense and now you're just you know giving handing the problem somewhere else in yeah. the organization uh, you know the answer could also be well then we just need to have better you know churn rates or something mm. like that and you know i think you as a sales ops person should then actually step up and be the rev ops mind yeah and be like wait but we can't do that either but, you know, I can talk to the marketing guy and see if, you know, what he thinks about it and then maybe come back and facilitate. Yeah. But that, you know, that should really be the immediate default instead of like, oh, cool. Yeah, let's just push it over to marketing and be done with it. I think it's also a point where Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So so you, you kind of, this is just a starting point you can take to be a bit more strategic and impactful towards the revenue. Mm. Obviously, this kind of exercise works really well if you look at across the entire funnel. And we, and we we kind of did it in one of the previous episodes on you know ten percent mm -hmm. improvements in seven places of the funnel. You want to have an approach where you look across the entire journey, uh, so you don't end up in this situation where you hand down the problem elsewhere. Yeah, let's jump into uh, number four. Yeah, let's do that. So you alluded to it in the beginning. Planning on all of that stuff is great, but it will only get you so far. And uh, our mantra and my mantra is it really only gets you 20% of the way. Mm. So what's the other 80%? The other 80% is execution. Getting all of that stuff actually done next year. And uh, everyone is like, well, duh, obviously. <laughs> thanks, Mr. Obvious. But the, the point here is that, you know, create a strong plan, create it in a bottom-up way where you can actually follow up on things like, you know, hiring people, executing projects, executing campaigns, and obviously the metrics that are tracking around this, and then use that as your guardrails for January, February, and so forth, and check in and understand, okay, some of those people weren't hired. Uh, who was responsible for that? Oh, it's Mikkel. Uh, hey, Mikkel, what are we doing about this? Have a conversation. And, oh no, this gap here in March, uh, we can see that this is going to be half a million by the end of the year, unless we fix it. Can you fix it, Mikkel? And then, you know, you might say, I actually, I don't think I can, I'm sorry. And then, you know, we can ask the rest of the organization, can you fix it? You know, do we find a way collectively to close that half million gap? Because otherwise that's going to be an issue. And if we can't find it, we probably need to approach, you know, at least the CFO and be like, hey, you know, this is what we're seeing. And if you do this really well, if you do this in a way where it doesn't become finger pointing in your organization, if you do this in the way where people genuinely want to optimize for the revenue target and help each other, and there's no there's no uh, uncertainty where the gap is coming from and why the gap is there and what we need to do to fix it, if you can solely focus on fixing it 
and then your execution will be much easier in that sense, right? And and really, we, we all know that every plan gets effed at some point in your in your uh, year. There's this, you know, everyone has a plan until they get kicked in the face. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's true. Yeah. I mean, all of us operators know that that is exactly what's going to happen. And you just need to be able to see it immediately, understand the severity of the issue. So are we talking half a million or talking five million, wherever you are on your revenue scale? And if you're talking 5 million, then okay, wow, now we need to ring those alarm bells in March instead of in November, right? And then you actually give yourself the chance to course correct. You will always, that's kind of the cool and the funny thing about it. You will always find another path to get to that number. There will always be something, maybe spending more money, maybe mm. shifting things around, maybe being creative, maybe being lucky. But you can only put yourself into the position of actually achieving that if you have enough time. If, if this is something that comes up in November versus in March, there's very little you can do. And yeah. basically the only, the only recourse will be, let's hope this big customer closes, yeah. right? And that's why you should do a plan, do it bottom up, do it data driven, use all of those advantages you have. And you know, if you do it like that, following through and tracking what happens in reality toward those plans, it's extremely simple. And when you don't, seeing the gap, quantifying the gap for the end of the year and then taking recalls, extremely simple as well. And this is, you know, the right hope we're sometimes talking about. It's very easy to talk about this in theory. Mm. It's very difficult to do it in practice. Uh, we as Growblocks are basically trying to fix that exact thing, right? Mm. The intersection of data-driven bottom-up planning with, uh, you know, daily, weekly, monthly execution and really creating, you know, one tool that combines those two things instead of having the Excel spreadsheet with finance and the Salesforce dashboard with sales. Yeah. And I mean, the reality is going to be in some companies, they they won't be able to see that they're falling behind until it's too late, mm -hmm. right? They, they might not have the infrastructure yet. And obviously, that's, then you have a clear case to why you should go and approach building that infrastructure. But I like the point around, well, when there is a gap, you want to talk about it immediately. Um, I had a coworker at some point saying it's not an issue that we we created or face a problem. The issue is how do we fix it? Mm -hmm. That's you know how you go about solving a problem tells a lot about you. So I don't think you have to sit and be worried that you can see that a trend or something is going off track. You should worry if you're not actually voicing it so you and the rest of the organization can course correct. Yeah, and it's also a really good tool to discuss with the top-down plan guys. Mm. Like, hey, we're already going off track here. You want us to get there. In order realistically to still do it, it would take those five things. Yeah. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to have us go for it? Mm. Because the, the thing is what happens with those gaps and you trying to catch up, they usually become more and more frantic and crazy and distracting from the 90% of the value that you need to create in order to get to 80% of the target anyway. And then you're basically starting to have a conversation, okay, how much are we going to let those, you know, closing those last percent distract us from getting to the 90% in the first place? And that's a really cool conversation to have. And I yeah. feel too few organizations organized and or mature and or honest enough with themselves to actually have those conversations, right? And and it starts with having a solid foundation 
to remove this whole discussion around, well, we don't know. Well, maybe we can still hit. Maybe we just need to really, you know, order a couple of pizzas and figure this out together. And you're moving on from that point, talking about the gap, talking about the proposals, talking about the likelihood of those, and then then have a really grown up conversation. Well, what are we what are we gonna do best now? Yeah. Mm. And and getting yourself into that position is um is really tricky. But I also see public companies not not having achieved that, by the way. So this is not a completely uncommon thing. No. It's pretty hard to achieve. Which is also why we know that 95% of you already mess it up next year, you know. But, you know, there are things you can do. And I, I at least hope that some of the advice we've covered here can help put you on the right path. Yeah, it, it is a lot of work. And I think just one important piece is when you go and talk with those people above you, they're used to being thrown curveballs. And they also know there are things happening now that can be beyond your control, causing whatever deficit or gap mm-hmm. is happening. If it's yourself that's caused it because something didn't go as according to plan, that's fine. As long as you address, then what can we do to fix it? Yeah. And try and stay away from the pessimistic corner. Like, yeah. oh, it's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. That's also super draining. Use some data, use some reality. Try and use that to build your case. But then there's also always a point where you will have to buy it and just Give it your best. And mm-hmm. you know what? Sometimes you were wrong. Sometimes it seemed impossible, but it was possible in the end. Happens very rarely, by the way. But it's really important to still stay a team player in the end and really kind of try and pull it off together. Yeah. Are you going to do the outro? <laughs> <laughs> this was 30 minutes talking about planning. I yeah. hope I hope it wasn't uh, as dry as we thought it might be. And also that you get stuck on planning, you know, 20% planning. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, I hope no one gets fired for, you know, now talking up to the CFO and being like, hey, that's not going to (laughs) happen. But let's see. I'm uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful for our audience. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks a lot for organizing. Thank you, Tony, for coming. And thank you, dear listener. Bye-bye. Bye.